0: John chapter 3. So, I'm not sure what number study this is, but we've made it to chapter 3. There's a famous verse, obviously, in chapter 3, which is verse 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, whoever believes in us, in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Obviously, that's a famous text from this chapter. But really, what we've been going over so far since the beginning of this gospel, at the end of this gospel, John gives us the reason why he's writing this. So this gospel is really a great introductory gospel to the Christian faith, and um, it's for new Christians, for people who are seeking out Christianity, for people who are having Christians for their whole life, it's really a... Uh, rich gospel, but it's also one that John himself says he's written so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. And so as I go throughout this um, this talk, and then also talks in the future throughout the gospel, that's going to be our main goal. Our main goal is John's main goal for us, that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the, he, so he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the one who's come uh, from the Old Testament to fulfill, he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we can have life, eternal life in his name. That's one of the main themes throughout the whole thing, and so that's the kind of perspective we want to interpret all of these things from. So we'll be in chapter 3, and I think I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 21. But before I do, I'll just pray for us. Lord, thank you that we're able to gather together this evening and talk about your word. We just pray that uh, you would do just that. You would do do what John sets out as, and you would reveal yourself to us as the Messiah, the Son of God, um, and you would reveal to us how we can have life and eternal life in your name, and I just pray that we would uh, believe what you say about yourself and what you say about God and spiritual realities, and I just pray that it would wash over us, it would renew us, it would cause us to be born again, so that we would um, live and be new creations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So starting in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. And people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So obviously there's a lot there. We have this interaction with Jesus and This guy, this religious ruler and leader named Nicodemus, we have this kind of going back and forth with him. And then at the end, verses 16 through 21, is kind of John, the one who wrote this gospel, his like, um, I guess commentary, but not quite like going verbatim over what Jesus has just talked about. But he kind of just has these these added um, things to help the reader, helping guide the reader. Throughout the whole gospel, we'll see John doing that. Again, this is a gospel written for people who are seeking out Christianity or who are just brand new Christians. And so John is constantly helping the reader along, helping the reader to understand. He's very, very aware that we are reading this gospel, trying to find out who Jesus is and find out how we can have life in his name. So he's super aware of that. and So he's constantly adding different things to say as he's recording this narrative. And so, one of the things that, Jesus, that um, John does throughout this gospel is, unlike the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he takes specific stories and he, and he elaborates them and really kind lets of you, lets you in on the conversation, really. So, we see here, this is the first one of those things. It's the first situation where Jesus is talking in depthly to someone specifically and individually. He's talking to Nicodemus. In chapter 4, he's talking to a woman at the well. Later in chapter 4, he talks to a, um, a Roman official. And then he talks about a healing in the pool of the Sabbath with another guy. So John gives us really like intimate views of Jesus, even in chapters 13 through 17. It's the upper room. Jesus is talking with his disciples, his closest bond of followers. And he's giving them intimate details of what's going on. And John is recording all of that for us. So we can better gain understanding of who Jesus is and that we can know how we can have life in his name. And so, like I said, this is the first, first one of those first, like um, a conversation that we see Jesus having. And it comes right on the heels of John saying, if you flip to verse 23 in chapter two, it says, now, when he, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Okay. So isn't that what John wants when they saw the signs that he was doing. But this belief and this following was more of like a, he's doing cool tricks and magic and we just want to follow him. We're kind of, we're kind of like intrigued by this character. We kind of want to be entertained in, in a sense. And then because we, and we find that out, he says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew what they were actually after. They were kind of just after, they were kind of following the fad, the crowd, and they were just kind of In and out, they weren't really giving themselves fully and trusting fully in who Jesus says he was as Lord and Savior. In verse 25, it says, And needed no one to bear witness about him, for he he himself, Jesus, knew what was in man. So obviously he's divine, he's uh, truly God, truly man, and he himself knew what was in man. He knew if someone was following him in a a, uh, superficial way. And so here we have an example of this. The, the passage just flows right into our text. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. This in the Greek, it's just like a continuous and, and then it just kind of keeps going with this story. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Pharisees are a religious elite group and crowd in this time. And it says a ruler of the Jews. So this guy was like, he knew, he knew his stuff as far as Jewish uh, religion goes. He was supposed to have authority over church, and he would, he, would have, um, he would be looked at as like our pastors would. So he was like really accredited guy. And so he comes to Jesus, says, this man came to Jesus by night. I'll address by night in just a second. I'll finish reading this verse. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So a couple uh, last, not when um, back in chapter one we saw that the Jews were often coming to Jesus and to John the Baptist. If you remember John the Baptist, he's proclaiming a whole new way. He's preparing the way for Jesus, for the Messiah. And the Jews didn't believe in that message. And so the Jew, but the Jews were required and expected as religious leaders to kind of guard what's going on. They're like, okay, there's a big buzz around this guy, John the Baptist. So what's going on? So earlier in chapter one, they send people to say, hey, who are you, John the Baptist? Why are you teaching this new message? Just like, you know, our pastors would be guarding our flock against new teaching, different teaching that is contrary to what we're talking about. And so Jesus and John the Baptist came on the scene proclaiming this new kingdom of God, the spiritual realm. And so the Jews were inquiring about these things. And so here we have a Pharisee named Nicodemus, kind of doing that with Jesus. And now it says by night he came to him. There's, there are themes throughout John, light, light and darkness, um, and different things that are like contrasting life and death, all kinds of different themes that are going to be throughout the whole gospel. And night at nighttime is, is typically referred to as a dark and like bad time. Even um, we'll see this throughout the gospel, but one of the more key examples of this when John references at night, or when like something like when it's kind of in the dark, in the shadows, like kind of like evil, is when Jesus, after having the uh, feast with the disciples in the upper room, he sends Judas out, and Judas is going to betray him. And John ends that description with, "And it was night." So it's like kind of like a dark symbolic thing going on here, but Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and we see that uh, it's kind of funny. Their interpretations vary as to why he came at night, but one of, one of the uh, reasons is that he's kind, of, he's kind of approaching Jesus from like a, um, he wants to inquire about what's going on, like I said, or he's really actually a seeker. Of of Jesus, and he's actually kind of starting to, not not necessarily believe yet, but he's he's kind of like this guy. What this guy's saying could have some real credibility here. And as a religious leader, if I were to approach Jesus in the broad daylight, then he would receive the ridicule and the um, kind of mocking as believing what this guy Jesus is saying. So it's kind of like he's too proud to come in the daytime. He's too proud to associate himself with Jesus in front, publicly, and so he's coming by night. And it's kind of interesting because he's, he's basically, in some sense, he's starting to like uh, believe what Jesus is saying, but he's not understanding at all what he's, what he's actually saying. He says here, we know that you're a teacher come from God. He's kind of like, hey, I'm asking for a friend, even though he's too proud to admit that he's actually a religious ruler who doesn't understand these spiritual realities. We can understand why he would be kind of like, flirting around the idea basically then just coming out and saying hey i don't understand can you explain this to me one he's a religious ruler ruler and he should understand these things already and two he's actually like a part of a group that actually despises what jesus is doing so that's why he's coming at night and he's saying and jesus responds to him and again think back to jesus knew what was in man so he could see the heart of this man who's coming to him and he's saying, "Hey." Uh, basically asking, why are you doing the things you're doing? Why are you doing these signs? What's, what's your teaching about? Your teaching of the kingdom and salvation and uh, purification through, like, baptism and all these different things. What are, you, what, are you, what are you after? And Jesus sees through his, like, waffling, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus basically challenges his own authority as a religious ruler and teacher. Jesus basically says to him, you do not understand my teachings and what I'm saying because you have not been born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again or born from above, born by the Spirit. And we'll see that as we keep going. Nicodemus doesn't understand, again, he's, he's constantly not getting it, not really getting what Jesus is putting down. Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So Nicodemus not quite understanding what Jesus is talking about. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So, so Nicodemus is thinking physical birth here. He's thinking, how in the world can I be born again? He's thinking, physically, I was born once. How can I get back into my mother's womb? Is that what you're saying? And again, he's a religious leader. He should know, the, he should know these things. He sh- he's familiar with the Old Testament text and the foreshadowings of that that we'll see in a second. And Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so this, this whole water and the spirit thing, Jesus is recalling back to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, again, this religious leader should have known these texts and these prophecies that Jesus is announcing the fulfillment of. Ezekiel 36 talks about the day where the Spirit would come and the heart of stone that we have, that we're not able to see the kingdom of God, this heart of stone would be removed and the Spirit would give us a heart of flesh, would come and indwell us. And that prophecy is being fulfilled in Nicodemus' day. But he doesn't see it. He doesn't have eyes to see. He has not yet been born again himself. John uses this water and spirit. The water, now this is debated as well, but I'll just give you what I think he's talking about here when he says water and spirit. The water is also talked about in Ezekiel 36 of a washing. So Jesus' and Jesus's mission and the prophecy from Ezekiel is that, one, the Messiah would come and they would have to be washed. They would have to repent of their sins. They'd be washed and cleansed of their sin, which is the symbolic of the baptism that John the Baptist was doing. And that Jesus would, event, would submit to. There's a washing and a cleansing and a repentance required from both the Jews and all people in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And so it was a washing, a cleansing, and a spirit that comes to indwell and give us new birth. And so this whole idea of regeneration, big theological word, regeneration and new birth... Really is just simple. We are dead in our sins before, we, before Christ. We are dead in our sins. We are blind. At the end of this chapter, or in the middle of this chapter, which I read, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. We love darkness. This is the description of people before they believe and trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. They are just following blindly the course of this world, indulging in the flesh, and they're blinded to the spiritual realities that are currently present. And, sec- and uh, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This gives us a great picture of this spiritual blindness. Of this deadness that we must be born again from. First it talks about, in chapter 4 in the beginning it talks about those who are blind. Those who are still in darkness. Those who are who have yet to be born again. Paul says... And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus of Christ. This is Nicodemus' case. Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And he says this, this is what happens in regeneration when we're made new creation, when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. For God who said, this is what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus here, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ showing us who God is, who the father is, through that we, have, we can, A, know who God is. Later in this gospel, we'll see that eternal life literally means to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To know God is eternal life. To know God is that being reborn, is new life, which the Spirit works within us. And we see that, the Spirit works that within us as in Jesus' teaching here. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. When we are born as fleshly, physical creatures we are born in Adam in darkness and we need to be born again renewed by the Holy Spirit in order to be children of God in order to experience the benefits of the family of God and we need to be adopted into God's family rather than being in uh, the Adam's family so to speak and Jesus says so that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit has to work this in us. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The spirit does this work within us. And then Jesus gives us this, like um, with, uh, with Nicodemus. of course, he's kind of misunderstanding it, but Jesus also kind of opens the door to this mystery of the spirit working in how he wills to work. So the spirit blo- comes about like the wind. It's like we can't see the wind. We can't predict the wind. It just kind of comes and goes and does as it pleases. And that's how he describes the spirit. Wind and spirit are like synonymous terms in the Old Testament. A lot Oftentimes it's, like the, it's the same word. And then actually in Ezekiel 37, which is right after that I will wash you and I'll give you a new heart, It talks about the wind blowing over a valley of dry bones and giving it life like the Spirit does. The Spirit gives life as the Lord wills. But then that's not enough for Nicodemus. He says, how can these things be? Again, you can hear Nicodemus like inquiring, trying to understand, embarrassed for sure that he's even talking to Jesus. So not quite there yet, but he's inquiring, how can these things be? What do you mean, Jesus? Why are you teaching the things you're teaching? And Jesus answered him, as we all are thinking, aren't you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you. And then, and also, rather than just seeing Jesus as like, just like straight up jabbing this guy, which he kind of is. He's a religious leader. He should know better. Rather than just doing that, it's also really gracious what Jesus is doing. He's actually revealing to him his heart and where he is falling short in his understanding. Again, this is written for us that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing him, we'd have eternal life. And so John is recording this story for us so that we would know the answers to these questions as well. We're not so different from Nicodemus, especially when we're coming to know the faith. We're brand new to this whole thing. Imagine telling your coworker, coworker or your friend who's not a Christian, telling them that they need to be born again. They'd be like, What in the world are you talking about? They would have a very similar response that Nicodemus has. And so Jesus is, is. And also, here's another thing about this whole thing. We are familiar, as Christians, we are familiar with the Spirit. You know, again, there's mystery here and there's levels of understanding. But even the things that we acknowledge and know as Christians that we have the Spirit dwelling in us, we've got to be born again, regeneration, all these Christian terms, these things were all brand new, you know, so to speak. The, the actual fullest revelation, Jesus was revealing these things to a fuller extent than the Old Testament did. So even just Jesus talking to the disciples about this in the upper room, these are all new concepts that Jesus is going to leave them, the Spirit's going to come and indwell them. These things, like they're learning Christianity for the first time. So even in that sense, we can kind of give Nicodemus some credit here. But again, he should know these things. He should know better. Jesus is answering his questions. He's being gracious to him. And Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answers him, are you a teacher of Israel? Do you not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So he's saying, "You're you're not believing what we have been saying. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he's saying, you're already sh- struggling with these things. If I tell you greater things than these, how will you expect to understand these things? But yet Jesus goes on. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. The son of man, Jesus Jesus often refers to himself this way as the son of man. This comes from the, the vision of Daniel chapter six and seven when he's talking about the son of man will have all authority and power and glory given to him. And Jesus basically kind of gives his, like, uh, authority to be teaching these things, his authority to be expounding these things. It's kind of like Nicodemus kind of comes with his own authority, but Jesus basically is like, I have the real authority here. And he's saying, I know these things because I have been face to face with God. That goes back to chapter one in John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus. He was dwelling with God, face to face with God. So if anyone is going to tell us how we can be born again, it is Jesus. If anyone's going to tell Nicodemus how to be born again, it's the one who has descended from heaven and who will also ascend. But again, Jesus graciously answers this question, how can these things be? How can this, this uh, act of being reborn again actually happen? And that's where Jesus says, this, he refers back to Numbers chapter 21 with the serpent being lifted up. So the, Israel, the uh, Jews, Israelites back in, the, back in uh, Numbers in the Old Testament, they were complaining, grumbling. Um, and so in judgment, God sent serpents to bite them, literally to bite them and cause them to be sick and like die. And in order to be saved from that, Moses put a serpent on a pole and if they just looked to that serpent, if they trusted God's word and looked to that serpent, they would be healed. They would be saved. And so Jesus references this here in describing himself. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then we have John's commentary here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus explains to him really how these things can be. How really can we be born again? It's through faith in Jesus's being lifted up. This lifting up ultimately is described in Jesus dying on the cross, being lifted up on a pagan cross and killed and crucified for our sins. And John adds some narrative to this. And he says, this was basically an act of great love from God. He says, God so loved the world. How much did God love the world? Well, that he would give up his only son for the world. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but be saved, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament would be saved. And so John is really uh, painting us a good picture here of how we can come to know God and how we can come to be born again. Again, there's some mystery here in the spirit working and the spirit regenerating our hearts without us working or trying to achieve that on our own. But there's also a call here to believe, to look to Jesus who is lifted up on the cross and believe that he has paid the penalty that we deserve and he has suffered for our sake so that we could have life and eternal life in his name, which is ultimately the purpose of this gospel. And so we start out at this, this um, as I close, we kind of, we can look at Nicodemus's story and we can kind of like see ourselves in Nicodemus in different ways. But we start out as a Nicodemus kind of hiding in darkness and people who are new to Christianity or who are exploring Christianity and even people who have been Christians for a long time can look back and see themselves as Nicodemus, one in darkness, trapped in darkness, not wanting to be, not wanting our are evil to be exposed by Jesus, by the light of the world. And saying how much, and and again, Nicodemus kind of comes with like a, we know, like he's kind of like this puffed up kind of way. We know that you, we know a little bit about you, but we don't quite fully know. But when we come to Christ, who is the light of the world, our darkness is exposed and we find new life and hope in him. And so really John wants us to see this story. He wants us to see ourselves even in Nicodemus' case. And he wants us to see Christ lifted up and he wants us to believe in his name.